Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. What did we just watch? <laughs> well, Kevin, we just watched Nancy Drew dot 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 Troubleshooter, a 1939 picture starring Benita Granville and Frankie Thomas. What was that name again? <laughs> I'm glad you asked, Kevin, because I got a little confused at first. To me, the title card looked like Nancy Drew dot 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 Troubled Shooter, and I uh, thought we were in for a bit of a darker picture than we're used to. <laughs> um... But this is uh, one of the uh, Benita, Benita, Nancy goes dark, Nancy snaps, Nancy goes hard Nancy on everybody. Can you blame her? She has put up with a lot of bullshit. She does. Why not take all the skills she's used as a teen sleuth and put it towards a life of crime? Nancy could be uh, pretty successive. Pretty <laughs> Nancy could be pretty successful in that line of work. You're so intimidated. You're like messing up words. Just the idea of it is sending you into... It's terrifying. Yeah. Because this woman can do anything and she has the energy. She has the vivacity yeah. to get away with it. She could be a real She could be a real player in the River Heights underworld. People better watch out. They've got to keep Nancy on your good side because she's a force to be reckoned with on either side of the law. So anyway, <laughs> now that we're done with that riff... Um, this is, uh, one of the, uh, several films. I think they're four in total, uh, in the 1930s, uh, series uh, of Nancy Drew films starring Benita Granville and Frankie Thomas. We were, uh, informed via online reviews that this was one of the better ones, but Kevin, 
There's some trouble with troubleshooter. That's my that's my thought. <laughs> that's your pithy take. That's my pithy take. Uh, on a previous episode, we uh, listened to and and sort of talked about Nancy Drew dot 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 reporter. And I'll say this: the lows in reporter felt lower to a certain extent, but the highs were so much higher. This is a little bit boring. That's kind of ironic because the highs in this one take place in an aeroplane. Yeah, wow. But I digress. There we go. We open up with uh, in a jail where a bareheaded man is surrounded by angry men wearing hats. And they are accusing him of murder. I mean, that's the kind of anti- hatless man prejudice that was so common in the 1930s i mean and i'm sure that's something you've run into kevin you've often complained that you can't find hats that fit so have you ever found yourself in a situation like this where you're just surrounded by behatted men and you and you're you're just alone in the crowd well you know i've often been compared to uh john kennedy at his inaugural where people just assume i'm not wearing a hat because of my youthful energy yeah, there you go. In my vivacity. Yeah. Is that why he didn't wear a hat? They said it made him look young. That you know, Eisenhower was prancing around in the inaugural wearing a hat. And here you see John F. Kennedy. He couldn't even be bothered with a hat. Yeah, what, who needs hats? Old stuffy guys. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why hat wearing went out of style. Because in the 1940s, 50s, in the movies, everybody's wearing a hat all the time. Hey, you can't tell anyone apart. They're just a bunch of mustachioed, hatted, you know, fools running around. JFK put an end to all that nonsense. You're you're bringing you're helping bring in the new era, Kevin, <laughs> with your anti-hat uh, stance. Um, They're accusing him of murder. Mm-hmm. We don't know who this guy is. We don't, we don't care. know what the evidence against him is. We Frankly, don't really care. he seems kind of rude, and we'll get we'll talk more about that later. But he says, you know, I'm going to get me a lawyer, and then he writes this barely literate scrawl to Carson Drew. Mm-hmm. Carson Drew is Nancy Drew's father, obviously, and he is a prominent River Heights attorney. Best of the best. Uh, I, I think I've said it before, but in the books, you never know exactly what this guy's specialty is. One minute, he's he's uh, some sort of hired gun for powerful railroad corporations. The next, he's doing some criminal defense for some poor people. Uh, the next, he's trying to help uh, people do real estate deals. He's really a jack of all trades in many sense. He's a Drew. He's a Drew. Because, you know, Nancy, she can do anything. She can do anything. Why can't Carson? He, they can do anything. They run this town. They run this town. River Heights is their town. Everyone else just lives in it. But anyway, so we go to the Drew household, and uh, there's some domestic drama going on. What? <laughs> oh, I don't mean domestic drama like someone's... <laughs> I don't mean it like that. I just mean like, just never mind. <laughs> well, Carson gives this letter. Mm-hmm. So he immediately says, well, I better drop everything and go to this hick town in the middle of nowhere where this man who is my beloved friend has been accused of murder. And he uh, announces this to Effie. Effie is the uh, the maid of the household. I don't even know why she's in this film, frankly. And he tells Effie... Don't tell Nancy. You can tell her that you can certainly tell her that we're going to be spending the summer in this small town where surely the big topic of conversation will be the big murder trial. Mm-hmm. But just don't tell her that I'm involved in this big murder trial that everybody will be talking about. Yeah, brilliant lawyer Carson Drew. And then at some point in this conversation, he gets a little bit cross with Effie. Calls her an idiot. Nice gentleman, Carson Drew. Really not, really not super impressed with the 1930s take on Carson Drew. I feel like the 1970s TV show, uh, Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, got the character much better. You know that that Carson Drew in those in in that TV show was much more. You know, he's affable. He's kind of a, maybe sometimes a little bit bewildered by Nancy's hijinks, but most of the time he's pretty supportive and encourages her to get involved. And of course, he was portrayed in that series by veteran character actor William Shallert who most of us remember best as the uh, father on the Patty Duke show. There you go. Because you were always talking about the Patty Duke I show. I never shut up about it. People are constantly running away from me because they're like, I can't do another Patty Duke conversation right now. And in fact, a hot dog makes you lose control. It, yes. I, I, I am so, I'm so in tune with everything you're saying right now. <laughs> 
because I'm a hundred years old. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I love that Carson Drew because he, he got kind of like the he was a chill Carson Drew. He was a guy who you know he he portrayed the kind of easygoing attitude um, that a fa- the father of Nancy Drew would have to have in order to be okay with her running around like busting gangsters, basically. But this Carson Drew, mm, not not a huge fan, to be honest. So then there's a commotion outside the home, and it's because Nancy has arrived. She's driving a car, and when she arrives home, she actually runs into the car parked in front of her because she's such a lousy driver. Women drivers strike again. Ugh. Now they made a point in this picture of every anytime Nancy gets behind a wheel, she's like bumping into people. She's having minor accidents. And I was thinking, well, they're, they're planting a seed because surely at the end of the movie, there'd be an exciting climax where the fact that Nancy is a bad driver mm-hmm. would somehow be crucial to the resolution of things. Yeah, that would be great. Does that happen? No. No. And it's just, just to make her look bad. Just to make her look bad and make ladies drivers. Ha ha. They can't drive. I mean, and, and the fact is, like, Nancy Drew, the whole peel of the character throughout every iteration is that she's supposed to be competent. In the books, she's hyper-competent to the point that she would intimidate anybody around her if she existed in real life because she's the kind of person who comes in and is like, oh, we're doing a painting competition? Like, I'm going to win. Oh, we're doing a writing competition? I'm going to win. Like, she, like, it's not that she is pushy or, like, is super outwardly driven, but she's just so good at everything that she just happens to win. So in this, like, to make her a bad driver, it's kind of like, okay, are we trying to say like this is the one thing she can't master and it's frustrating for her? No, we're just it's just a dumb it's just dumb. <sighs> Anyways. Um So she arrives and Effie and, and and first of all when she arrives, for some reason, there's clothes scattered all over. Also, the house. Carson is fondling a shotgun. Which goes off. <laughs> Nancy drops to the floor, <laughs> clutching her chest. Uh no. Uh yeah, I don't know why Carson is is doing is is cleaning his gun like that when he doesn't know how to handle it. Why he has a gun, frankly. It's absurd. It's a very absurd scene. And he breaks the news, you're going to be going to this hick town. Nancy's stunned, she's shocked, she's bewildered. He he's I thought you'd be happy because through some uh, plot contrivances, your boyfriend Ted Nickerson is spending the uh summer there as well, and so I thought you'd be delighted to be so close to him. And just a quick uh, editorial note, uh, Kevin is not saying Ned Nickerson's name wrong. In the movie series, for some reason, this guy, they were like, you know, Ned, no, Ted. That's the new name. Ted. Ted. Ted is it. So anyway, Nancy's all like, I don't want to look like I'm stalking Ted. Um, And it's like very unclear, like what exactly their relationship is. Like some people call him her boyfriend and then some people... And then, like, you know, but he doesn't even seem to want to be around her in this movie. So I don't know, like, are they on the outs? But then again, I mean, it's the 1930s. So there's probably some, like, weird, like, going steady versus, like, weird jargon for different kinds of dating that I'm not even aware about, you know, that they're that they're kind of fulfilling here. So who knows? They have kind of a thing going, but it's... it's Do they? He doesn't seem... To, I mean, here's... I'm going to say one thing. We're not even at the Ted part, but... One of the fun things about Nancy Drew Reporter was that, you know, Nancy and Ted were fun together. They had kind of a oddball energy together and that, like, even when Ted was kind of exasperated at Nancy's antics, you can kind of see him getting sucked in and see him enjoying the ride. And in this movie really didn't have that. In this movie, you almost felt like they broke up at the end of the school year and Ted went to, like, go on vacation and, like, get away from her for a while. And then she showed up and saw him. And it's like that energy of like awkwardness, frankly. A little disappointing. Actually, very disappointing. Because I really thought that was one of the strengths of Reporter. And it's interesting that both movies were made in 1939. Because I wonder if this was the second movie made and they just couldn't. Like, it was just too much. You know what I mean? Like, in terms of the energy of the cast. Um, But, uh, you know, Carson continues to be a jerk by not telling Nancy the purpose of their visit. Um, But but Nancy is so observant. Mm -hmm. She notices that Carson's... uh working case his briefcase whatever is being packed and that surely means something and so effie says oh no no that doesn't mean anything nancy doesn't mean anything at all and nancy leans in getting very close to uh effie and starts asking the hard questions and pushing and pushing and pushing 
until finally Effie breaks. This is how we talk. <laughs> yeah, no more day at our house. Yeah. And uh, then, of course, uh, you know, Carson comes in. Oh, well, actually, no. First, Nancy declares that she's got to go save Matt Brandon, who's the guy who's in jail. Um, Uncle Matt, she calls him at some point. So I'd really love to know what the hell Matt and Carson have in common that they uh, know each other. But anyway, so and then she lets her dad know, you know, I might need your help, too. So she's she's still cocky old Nancy. That's, you know, the kind of energy that uh, Benita Granville brought to this role in other installations of the series and she's still got it here so that's nice to see but um and then effie's like apologetic to carson mm -hmm. uh i know i i messed up if you want to you can kick me and then she leans over and sticks her ass in his face basically and then he pretends to kick her and she gets upset like what 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 psychosexual games are going on in this, this household have you ever seen the movie secretary no Maggie Gyllenhaal. Well, this had that kind of energy, and I I don't like it, and I don't get why Nancy's all upset about Carson meeting a lady on in this hick town, and then also when when something's clearly going on between Effie and Carson, something something weird, something S and M. I don't know. Um, but they get to this rustic, bucolic country home, and Nancy is immediately very excited. But as an audience member, I'm considerably less excited because here's where we meet Apollo. First of all, first of oh, all, let's okay. see. okay. You don't want to talk about Apollo. No, we, we need to talk about Apollo, but we need to explain what Apollo's doing when we meet him. And to get that, we need to set the scene a little bit more. Okay. When we get to the farm or whatever the hell they're staying. It's a farm. It's just chickens. Yes. There are chickens running all over the place, which is terrifying. How do you, how do you feel about chickens, Kevin? I'm not a fan of seeing live chickens just roaming around. You, what do you think they're going to do to you? They're going to kill us <laughs> and peck out our eyes. So it, I think it, you're it, a little bit chicken. <laughs> Proceed. <laughs> so it's terrifying. So then all these chickens are roaming around. And then we see this person named Apollo. Tell us about Apollo, and then I'll say what Apollo is doing. <sighs> okay. Apollo. Apollo is black, and Apollo is basically a racist caricature of a black guy. And it's really... It he's stealing one of the chickens. He's stealing one of the chickens. It's really... It's really bad. Okay, in the last Nancy Drew episode, I complained a lot about the quote-unquote... The kids, the Our Gang rejects Mary Nickerson, who's uh, Ted's younger sister, and Killer Parkins. And these are two kind of sidekick comic relief characters who are just there to be silly and muck up the plot. And they end up being just really annoying and taking away a lot of time and energy from kind of the, the, the reporting antics and also Ted and Nancy's kind of fun dynamic. And... I was I was I was saying horrible things about these kids. I, I was saying they should go to the, the electric chair. I was I was getting nuts in this episode. And like I missed them in this movie. I missed them. Because at least they were just two doofy white kids and it wasn't the movie being horribly racist to black people. This is the only black character we see. He's he's a racist stereotype. He doesn't have any depth. He exists to get scared and freak out and run around. And it's just like I, I just can't watch this. It's he's he's in it so much. He's either ugh, it's it's awful. It's just racist. It makes you feel gross for watching the thing. It's just it's real bad. It's not it's not redeemable. <laughs> Anyways, so good night, folks. Yeah, cause we're not gonna. Well, we gotta tell you about the rest of the stupid shit that happens. But I I will say like if if that if that stuff you know. If that stuff is something that you have a hard time stomaching, this is not worth your time. And to give you, not only does he steal a chicken, he, he in this first scene, starts talking about ghosts. Yeah. It's that kind of movie, folks. <sighs> we get away from him, though, briefly, because everybody, by everybody I mean Nancy and Carson, go to visit Uncle Matt in jail. Mm-hmm. And when they uh, arrive there, Carson starts intimidating the local constable with a bunch of fancy-sounding words like 
corpus delecti. And he says, you know, you know, of course, you can't uh, charge a person with murder without a corpus delecti. And he sounds so sure of himself that uh, the sheriff says, well, I guess you're right. We'll just let him go. So, Kevin, you are an attorney. You are an officer of the court. Can you inform us what exactly they're talking about in the scene and what that means? Uh, they're basically saying that if you don't have the body of the murdered person, you can't prove a murder has occurred. And therefore, you can't charge anybody with the crime. That's not true. There are many instances where people are charged with murder when there's no body. So this is this is just nonsense. They're running a, a con. They're running a hoax on this sheriff. I'm going to say this. Um, Nancy and Carson display a disturbing lack of curiosity over the crime at the center of this story. They don't seem to really care about solving this murder or, or missing persons cases it is now they only care about getting their client free and that's not really in the spirit of the character frankly it's pretty realistic it's <laughs> okay but i'm not watching nancy drew for gritty realism about corrupt defense attorneys who you know are only in it for personal glory and money I mean, Kevin, I'm curious, you know, first of all, you keep referring to this as a hick town. And, and, and second of all, you know, you you were a, a law, you know, a, a clerk in a in a kind of a small a town. thriving metropolis, a thriving. Metro- OK, you would, you would say that was a thriving. So you don't think this I, would I, have gone- I, I, I lived in uh, 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 <laughs> she's talking about a town that had about uh, 50 to 60,000 people. OK, that's pretty. Yeah. That's not and what this, this town is. is what maybe fifty to sixty people. Yeah, so nothing like this ever happened. No fancy defense attorneys ever came in from out of state and were like the Latin words, and everybody was like, "Okay, guess we're not going to do a murder trial." When I was there in the courts, uh, there was a there was uh, I can think of one time when a fancy out of town lawyer came to make a presentation in the court. It was not a criminal case. It was a uh, libel case where a gentleman had been fired from his job at a major corporation. And he felt the reason he was fired was because his superiors had made some comments about him in his personnel record that he felt were untrue and damaging. They talked about him having a penchant for playing around with uh, the, the, the stars that... Uh, ninjas throw and things like that oh my god he said this makes me sound like a fool and it's just because i happen to have a few stars in my locker they exaggerated and they fired me for it wrecked my career he sounds awesome i mean maybe he's not but i'd i'd love to work with someone who just is whipping out the ninja throwing stars exactly what could go wrong (laughs) so so he he sues this major corporation and he asked for an astronomical amount of money in the millions that's what you do you ask for more than you think you're gonna get so there's a a big hearing in the case and the corporation hired uh, an attorney from chicago oh down a big big time corporate attorney comes down and the person who is suing for libel is representing himself oh this is gonna be rich And he gets to make the first statement in the case. And he stands up and he says that actually these these corporate goons, not only they're against him, they're against uh, all white people. Oh, no. Uh, and he says they are Nazis and they are communists. So he's just an entitled white dude who is an asshole to work with. They fired him and then... He's pulling this shit, basically. Yes. So okay. he started alleging all sorts of conspiracies involving Nazis and uh, communists. I believe. Famous allies. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, I think he may have alluded to them having contacts with uh, Nazi war criminals still alive in Argentina. Massive conspiracy. So he, he would have gotten a great job in the Trump administration. Yes. So he makes this big presentation, and then it's time for the uh, big-time attorney from Chicago to make his presentation. He just stands up and he says, uh, we rest. 
doesn't even bother to make a, a presentation and the case was dismissed. So the guy didn't get anything, it was just dismissed? The case was dismissed. So that was that was the one time a person from out of town came <laughs> and he didn't even bother to talk. Love that. Imagine him just like taking off his jacket, rolling up his sleeves. We rest. <laughs> Glad I could come down and settle this for you guys. <laughs> so we, Your Honor, we don't need to talk. We, we rest. How bad is it that I'm rooting for the giant corporation versus this guy? Jesus. Anyways, very different from what happened in this movie, but but also very silly, like what happened in this movie. Um, so they get him out. They get him out. And I'm going to tell you, the accused man, this Matthew Brandon, he's a sinister character. He, he <laughs> I think, I think if you saw him and his reaction to getting out of jail, you'd, you'd be like, you'd have some questions. You, you'd, you'd think this was like a jinx situation because he's immediately gloating, uh, besmirching the missing man, calling him a cutthroat. I mean... It's 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 ominous at at worst, and then I guess maybe in very poor taste at best. And I have a question: He's calling the missing man a, a cutthroat and bad mouthing him. Do, do does do the missing man's friends and loved ones ever speak up to defend him or express their grief or concern over the fate of the missing man? Not that we see. Nobody really cares. Well, no, but it's it. We might just not see that. Maybe the movie's perspective is so in Nancy's camp that it just turns away from the wailing widow and children of this missing man. It's uh, but it's yeah, it's it's not a good look. And then you know, Nancy very much nearly runs people over in the street. So she's like a few scenes away from like committing some sort of hit and run murder herself. So she's r- running over people in the street mm-hmm. trying to get to Ted. And I guess we should mention at this point that uh, a little bit earlier in the picture, when they arrived at this horrifying farm with the chickens and the oh, racism, we forgot. We, we, we were so disturbed by the racism, we forgot to mention Miss Gregory. Tell us about Miss Gregory. <sighs> oh God, because this is also, and it maybe the the racism is the worst part of this film. Uh, but but what I'm about to describe is probably my second, you know, the second worst thing in the film. So Miss Gregory is let, let's let's mm, let's rewind. We need to we, we need to back this up. We were trying to get through the farm scene so quickly because we were so deeply upset and uncomfortable with the blatant racism in this film. But we got to go and explain this. So they show up. The farm's a dump because Matthew, uh, you know, this dude has been in jail for a while and, it, and there's no linens, there's no food. It's just a, it's a mess. And and Nancy's all like, let's stay here. It's all rustic. And um. The dad's like, no, we're staying at, you know, fucking Hampton Inn in town or something or whatever the 1930s equivalent was. And they're all, you know, they're packing up. They're getting ready to go. And then saunters in is a a, a pretty brunette by the name of Miss Gregory. His big brassy jazz music plays. <laughs> really? No. Okay. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> it might have. It would have gone over my head. So, um. So Mr. Drew is smitten, and then he learns that this fine young lady is the neighbor of Matthew. And so he um, immediately starts thinking with his dick and changes his mind. They're not going to go to Hampton Inn? What? When they have this beautiful, decaying farmhouse here? And, uh, you know, would, would Miss Gregory care to come over for dinner that night? We'll just whip something together. So, you know, it's going to be one of those things. Carson's in love with Miss Gregory. He wants to flirt with her. He wants to get with her. And and, and that that on its on its own, fine. Whatever. Do you have a problem with that on its own? Not at all. Not at all. We're fine. Carson. We're all adults here. Find your happiness. In the book series, Nancy's mother is dead. She passed away when Nancy was three from leukemia. Or I think it was leukemia. I don't know if it's ever stated. I don't know if I just made that up. But she, she Nancy only has her father um, to raise her. But... It is immediately clear in this scene that Nancy is deeply, deeply jealous. I don't want to. I don't want to speak for people who had stepmothers or fathers. I don't. I don't know the dynamics. I don't know the complications of uh, remarrying or or dating people when you have a teenage daughter or a teenage son. I'm sure it's complicated, but this is played up to the point where it's just icky. And it's like Nancy is his girlfriend and he's leaving her for another woman. It, it, and it runs through the entire plot. It's gross. 
in Nancy Drew Reporter, we ran into a bit of a problem with this kind of theme too. Kevin, do you know what I'm talking about? There is a scene where he picks her up bodily and throws her onto a bed. Yeah. There's a weird sexual energy between Nancy and her father in these films. We don't like it. We don't understand it. We wish it wasn't there. It's not good. And this, so, yeah, this, so, this makes it worse. So when Nancy goes to see Ted, she wants his help with something. It has nothing to do with the murder case. She wants him to come over that night and help her break up her dad and Miss Gregory. And in order to bribe him into doing that, well, first of all, we should say when she sees him, he's not too happy. No, he doesn't look happy. He's he's like wincing, basically. He's not happy to see this woman. No, and, and, and you know, in the previous film, Nancy had a real clear mission. Nancy's mission was to be the best student reporter and to kick everyone's ass with a real investigative scoop. In this, she wants to help her dad's friend get out of jail. But it feels much less pressing at many times than breaking her dad and Miss Gregory up. And so, um, you know, like in Nancy Drew Reporter, she's not above bribing Ned with some expensive gifts, treating him like some sort of trophy boyfriend with a new watch. But we should stress she makes a point of letting him know that this watch only cost her a nickel. That's true. So she's not a very good gift giver. But um, she basically, like, gives him the gift to guilt him into helping her uh, spy on Miss Gregory and her dad, or at least kind of give her tips on how to break them up. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I, you know, I thought about it. You know, Mr. Drew dating is not really a problem in the books, except for the mystery of the glowing eye, in which Nancy suspects that her dad has an eye for a young, I don't remember if she's a paralegal or like a law student or like a young woman who he started to work with named Marty King. And she's very, she does not like Marty King. She doesn't like the whole thing. But, and it's and it's, an, it's an awkward thread, but it's not the focus of the book. The, the same way Miss Gregory is such a focus of this film. Um, and she becomes even more of a focus because what happens next? Well, what happens next is we cut back to the farmhouse and Nancy walks in and her father and the man accused of murder, I've already forgotten his name. Matthew. Her father and Matthew are standing over Effie, who is spread out in a chair with some sort of fatty goo rubbed all over her body as she's complaining bitterly that she's been exposed to poison ivy and she's weeping. I don't blame her. Have you ever had poison ivy? No. I've had it so bad that they were going to send me to the hospital and I was told if I ever got it again, I'd have to go to the emergency room. It's horrible. It makes you want to die. It was all over my body. I remember sitting in a pottery barn just like, it's not, it's no fun. I felt very bad for Effie in this scene. And I don't so you blame you poison her. ivy in a pottery barn? No, I didn't. No, it's a complicated story. But basically, I got poison ivy. My parents wanted to go to a pottery barn to get some gifts. We went to the pottery barn. And I started to swell up more while in the pottery barn. So I was just sitting in a corner and I feel like people were like, like looking over and being like, what the hell's with that kid? What's going on? <laughs> my face was getting more and more like, like I couldn't open my eyes. It was, it's a horrible, horrible thing. Poison Ivy. How old were you? I want, I want to say I was like nine. Yeah. I, I, there was a bunch of times I got poison Ivy in the summer and it was always just a friggin' nightmare. And, um, don't mess around in the woods guys not a good idea this ticks this poison ivy this poison oak make sure you wear protective gear when you're going around um but anyways i sympathize with effie and then we never see effie again in the yeah, rest she, of the she, film they, 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 which is realistic because she had a really bad case of poison yeah, ivy. they guide her out of the room and out of the picture she's lucky so now that effie is not on board to cook and Carson kind of gets excited and says, well, maybe we can have Miss Gregory come over and cook. And Nancy says, no, that's not necessary because I have studied domestic science. Domestic science. And, you know, book Nancy would have just killed this. Book Nancy would have just just delicious, beautiful pies and, you know, roast chicken and, and you know, uh, beautiful side salads. Just gorgeous. But this is... Benita Granville, Nancy. So things are going to get a little bit wacky. Um, 
She is, uh, you know, she's struggling in the kitchen. Things are burning. Things are going wrong. So Nancy can't drive. Her boyfriend doesn't love her. And she can't cook. This is a whole new character. And listen, I think in a film, I think in a book, it's fine to keep Nancy as the perfect paragon. Do you know what I mean? Like, she can do anything, wants to do anything, you know, like, what, whatever. She has no challenges. In a movie, it's fun to maybe experiment with making her a little bit fallible in some areas. But I really think it should, I feel, I feel like the little uh, frailties that you add to the character should probably reflect something about the character that you're, you're trying to say. Like, she's so distracted, she drives too fast. Or she's trying to get places, and she drives too fast. That's why she's a Brad driver. Or she is so busy researching up on the latest poisonings, you know, in the newspaper that she lets the the you know the chicken burn. Um, and, and this is just more of like laughing at her expense. And to me, that's not really the point. I'm so mad I'm hitting the microphone. That's not really the point of a Nancy Drew story. The point is to see this girl kick ass, take names, solve a mystery, you know, and overcome challenges, not immediately succumb to them and rely on her boyfriend to get her out of the jam. To be clear, in the books, Ned is an important contributor to Nancy's mystery solving and, and often does save her from jams. So it's not that that's inherently wrong. But in, in a lot of these ones, it feels like it's more of Ted's story because he's coming in and kind of like completely saving the day to a to a large degree in some of these situations. Yeah, he even comes in, in in the kitchen and tries to help Nancy with the cooking. But before they get too far, Miss Gregory appears. With her condescending words. Yes. I didn't expect to find any of the family in the kitchen. I didn't know any of you young girls could cook these days. Get the fuck out of here, Miss Gregory. Jesus Christ. Oh, but Ted. Oh. He loves this woman. And that pisses Nancy off. Yeah, Ted likes an older lady in this. And uh, Nancy's not too, none too pleased. Um. <laughs> so Miss Gregory uh, suggests, you know, why don't you two kids... Get the hell out of here and stop messing around. You're going to burn the place down. She says, well, if you want to help me, maybe you can go out and find some watercress, whatever that is. So they go out and they look for watercress and they find some. And Ted says, oh, we better get this back right away because everyone knows watercress will go bad. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're really pissed off about this watercress thing. It's your your Miss Gregory. (laughs) Oh, yes. I'm. uh, uh, But as they're walking back uh, to the house... Uh, Nancy spots something. Now, this seemed like much more of a Nancy Drew moment to me. So Nancy gets fixated on this rare tropical plant that's for some reason growing in a field in this, like, farm farmland. And um, she's speculating about how the heck it could get there. She's obsessing. She makes Ned help her set up a marker so they can go back and uh, pot it. She, you know... Ned suggests, look, why don't you, or sorry, Ted suggests, why don't you pick it? And she's like, no, 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 we need to pot it. Like, that's the Nancy we know. The Nancy we know is obsessed with random things that, you know, through plot contrivances become important later. And her skills in those areas pay off. Mm -hmm. So this felt more Nancy. But Ted points out we don't have anything to put it in now. So maybe what we do, because God knows we can't let this watercress go bad. Why don't we stop? see Apollo and have Apollo go and dig it up and pot it. And Nancy says, sure, that makes sense. So they go to see Apollo. And Apollo, at this point... Racism ensues. Yes, he is cooking a chicken. And right beside him, there's a big pile of fresh feathers. And he's so excited about this chicken, he actually licks it. I I don't even want to talk about what Apollo is doing in this movie. I feel like by doing that, we're somehow like perpetuating this like racist cloud that like hangs over on it. Like, like I guess like, like the suffice to say he tries to hide this chicken he's cooking. Cause he puts it in his, the back of his shirt. Cause that always works. Whenever I try to hide chicken from you, you haven't even till now, you didn't even know I was hiding chicken from you. I think we just got to skim over what Apollo's <laughs> doing, Kevin. Okay. So they give him the directions, go and dig up the plant yeah. and, and Ned, Ted says, you know, sure, you can do it after you eat the chicken. Because guess what? I can tell what you're doing there. I, I think we should just skip over the Apollo. But, but the, this is not but important it, to the Well, it becomes the important because then Nancy and... The chicken's not important. Nancy and Ted go and they all have this great meal. And then Apollo goes digging. And what happens? 
So Paula goes digging for Nancy's flower and um, pulls it up and then, oh no, finds a body. So he goes running away because he's scared and it's played for laughs because this is a racist flick. Um, So he goes and gets the authorities. The cops descend upon the farmhouse and arrest Matt Brandon once more. Carson Drew is going to have to do a bit better this time. Then, uh, now they have a body. Yeah, he, no fancy Latin terms are going to get him out of this jam. But at least now, Nancy must be relieved because they found the body. His family has closure. They have something to bury, yes. something to grieve over. Yeah, yeah. Nancy, Nancy knows that just because maybe this guy was a bit of a cutthroat, maybe he wasn't too popular around town. It's really important that he, as a person, receives a good proper burial oh wait no no nancy complains that you know she ruined everything because by asking apollo to dig up the flower it unearthed this man's remains and that's a problem for her she doesn't care about this mystery she just cares about getting her dad's client a you know out of these charges and i think that's kind of a crappy way use of this character who's supposed to be basically always entranced by the puzzle and always trying to figure out what happened to this missing man who did this you know and of course her dad's clients are usually not guilty because that's the way the stories work but in this it just feels like she's just a mercenary she doesn't care about the mystery she just wants to win i don't like it and meanwhile her dad is more interested in getting nice clothes under the influence of one Miss Edna Gregory. And he defends this because he says, you know, how would I have any dignity or weight as an attorney if I went around dressed like a tramp? You know, that's never stopped me. I was going to ask you, Kevin, how do you do it? <laughs> how do you how do you manage that uh, <laughs> dignity and weight despite your sartorial uh, mix-ups? But Nancy... <laughs> You're not a debating coward. <laughs> but Nancy... Uh, doesn't accept this, and she says to Ted, well, I bet you $23.80 that she's really not interested in helping him with his fashion. I bet you this money she's after Dad. And I looked it up, and $23.80 was apparently the average check given out by the WPA at the time. Heck yeah. Can you refresh my mind what the WPA is? Oh, the WPA was the Works Progress Administration, which uh, basically... During the height of the Great Depression, they would, instead of just giving people relief payments, they would hire them to do things. Right. Like put on plays or do work in their cities or towns. And the workers who did this work would get a checks, and apparently the average checks were $23.80. A good idea for these crazy pandemic times, except obviously would need a lot more money than that. But I just mean the, the New Deal kind of stuff sounds pretty good right now um yeah uh it's it's you know there's lots of weird little 1930s talk like that uh, at some point ted asked nancy to cut the bubblegum talk i did not know what that meant but you know it, it's it's that can, that can have its charm but this this film I, I don't know what it was about it just the attitude of it really lacks some of that um fun and sort of whimsy of of the reporter film in this series so so i thought that was a shame you know a a lot of the gags in this are really repetitive you know nancy's a terrible driver once again um yeah she's upset about miss gregory making her dad happy i mean it's 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 just it's it sort of just loses itself by sort of focusing on these sort of easy stupid jokes but anyway somehow they get on this oh they, they they um they track down the tropical what? Oh, what? No, no, go on. What were you gonna say? Nothing. I got nothing. You got nothing. But go on. They 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 decide that what we need to do is this tropical flower must have come from somewhere, and maybe if we figure out where it came from, wherever it came from, there's our killer. So these busy bees get off buzzing <laughs> to the nearby florist shop. Uh, where they find out that a certain man named Griffith has a big tropical flower nursery. Sounds like he's a Ned Bundy type. What does that mean? Well, earlier we had a character whose name was Ned, 
and his name is now Ted. So now I refer to Ned Bundy instead of Ted Bundy. Because Griffith is like a killer. Oh. And Ted Bundy was a killer. I... So now hold your sides. <laughs> oh, I don't even know what you're saying. <laughs> so so one Ned's name was changed to Ted. Yeah. And so then Ted Bundy's name is changed to Ned Bundy. Oh, good. Yeah. You're real good. <laughs> you brought joke. down the house with, you bought down the greenhouse with that one. So. I'm trying. This movie's really boring. So uh, they go and mess around with this guy's flowers for a while. And they steal a seed catalog. Yeah. And should I mention that for a big chunk of the movie, Ted is wearing some sort of a garment with a lot of people's names written on it. I didn't even notice that because my eyes are so bad and I need glasses. What? Whose names are are the names of his victims are written on it? Well, Nancy Drew's name is written on it and other people's names are written on it. All the women he slept with. You had a shirt like that, but I made you throw it out. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> this movie, it's, it's just so boring and the, like it's baffling but boring. Um, <laughs> so basically the pilot... Uh, oh, the pilot. What am I talking about? Punch- oh, 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 and during this whole sequence, there's a, a chance where for Ted to do one of his patented uh, fake stroke routines and start doing it with a double talk. Yeah, I'll be like, it was more funny in the reporter film. Maybe I've just aged a lot between watching that and this. Um, So there's a pilot for some reason. Griffith. Works with a pilot named Marley. Because Marley uh, is a crop duster. Yeah. So I've always wondered, what does a crop duster do? It doesn't involve like actual dusting, does it? No, they spray chemicals on plants to keep the uh, bugs away. So Ted sees him in his little crop dusting plane and he says, oh, I'd really love to go up in that plane with you sometime. And uh, Marley just kind of says, yeah, what are you talking about? Just go look at the flowers. I'm not taking you up in the plane. Scram, kid. And uh, just in case you were hoping maybe that uh, Ted and Nancy get chased across a field by the crop duster, North by Northwest style, no, that does not happen. Something much stupider happens. But anyway, I mean, that's basically it for the flowers. They steal a, they steal a, they steal a seed catalog that seems to prove that um, the Mr. Griffith had a plant that was the same type of, you know, a plant that was growing over the dead guy's body. So the theory is he's the only one in this podunk town that had this kind of rare tropical plant. He must have been gardening, gotten some seeds on his person, and then accidentally deposited them at the crime scene, and they grew over this man's. So the way to prove this once and for all is to go to there's some business where in town where they sell seeds, and so they have records of who they sold the seeds to. These these seed records are naturally sealed in a big box, and the man who can open up the box is out of town, but he'll be back the next day, and surely there'd be no harm if you just wait until tomorrow to get the key to open up the the box of the seed records. And eh, sure, that's fine. Let's go to an ice cream social tonight. Exactly. And uh, Ted and Nancy are having a nice time. They're admiring the stars and a charming old couple holding hands by some rocking chair. But wait a minute. That's not an old couple. That's Nancy's dad and that hussy Miss Gregory. And if if I understood the dialogue correctly, Carson has asked Miss Gregory to marry him. No, I I don't think that was the case. You don't think that was the case? She said, oh, Carson, that would be nice. But uh, it wouldn't work out because Nancy doesn't like me. I thought it was more of like... I. He was asking her to be his new maid? N- no. I thought it was more of like, like I'd love to see more of you. Maybe we could really rev this up into something more than like a casual kind of thing. I think Carson is a man of honor. He was asking the lady, in my mind, to be his wife. They've known each other for a day, Kevin. Well, then remember... He then goes over to, she says, it never worked out because Nancy doesn't like me. And he's, well, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go talk to Nancy. And he goes to talk to Nancy. And conveniently at that point, Nancy is talking to Ted and saying, well, you know, 
if my dad ever marries this Miss Gregory, I'm leaving home. And yeah. so Carson freaks out and goes back to uh, Miss Gregory and says, you're right. It wouldn't work. You're right. This supports I need, my theory. I need to put Nancy in a psychiatric facility. <laughs> She's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I just the whole thing is so creepy, and it's like, why is Nancy like this? You know, and and like it it ugh. when you when you take Benita Granville's boundless energy and you direct it towards something fun, like her trying to be the best reporter in town or her trying to solve the mystery, then you have a fun picture. But when you direct it towards sort of freaking out, she's not even doing anything to sabotage Miss Gregory, which I appreciate because that would have made me angry at Nancy. But freaking out and worrying about Miss Gregory and also, you know, driving frantically and, and, and just sort of being kind of a sloppy detective in this whole thing. And, and it's just, it's much less fun. Fire. Fire? Fire. Fire. Let's there- get the fuck out of this boring ice cream social somebody says the nursery is on fire this isn't is not a nursery with kids this is a plant nursery (laughs) (laughs) if it's a nursery with kids sure that's pretty exciting but this is a plant nursery this is the place that has the seed records and it's on fire and let me be clear this ice cream social clears out it's not just nancy and the main characters running out it's everybody everybody in town they're like this ice cream's cold Let's get the let's get the real hot stuff. Let's go look at this potential arson. People are crashing into gables somehow. I don't even I don't even understand it. But they're all running and they get to this fire. Huge crowd forms outside. And there's a couple of guys standing by the fire with hoses, just like little garden hoses. <laughs> no, it's, it's not doing anything. And then the main all the main employees in town seem to be focusing their energies on just keeping people away from the fire. Which, given the amount of dumbasses in the... Yeah, I mean, like, I could see that being and, a focus. And Nancy wants Ted to go in there try to get the records. And so they decide the way to do this is try to start a big fight. Yeah. So how do they do that? There's one obese fat man who looks exactly like the obese fat man who's the sheriff. So they push them into each other. Yeah, they, they get into an argument over taxes. And uh, that provides the distraction needed for not Nancy, but Ted. To run into a burning building. To run into a burning building to get some seed records. He's a, he's a young VC and he needs, he's a, he's a young um, entrepreneur and he needs his seed money. <laughs> it's series A and it's really important to get that VC backing. Um, but anyways, <laughs> enough, econ- enough uh, startup jokes. Um, basically... Ted's in there trying to haul this big box, um, and the bad guys see that. So what do they do? They decide, well, why don't we pretend that we're worried about Ted and just go in there and drag him out and say we're saving him. And so they do that, and they're hailed as heroes for saving the life of this idiot kid who ran into a burning building to get some records. Here's my thinking. That was the smart thing for the villains to do. It would have been more exciting for the audience had they done something like lock Ted in the burning building and then Nancy had to go in and get him. Like, you know, like something less, something less like, oh, we saved him. Da, da, da. I don't know. It, this is just a boring movie. I wish they'd done, <laughs> I wish they'd spiced it up a little more. And even Carson doesn't seem to be too upset about uh, the destruction of this exonerating evidence and his client's hopes. He's just, yeah, what are you going to do? Maybe something else will turn up. I'll hire some private. I'll hire some private detectives. They'll come in. I'll get me a private dick to look into this. Yeah, I'll rack up a huge bill for uh, Matthew, and then you know, fuck up, and he'll get executed. <laughs> Oops, lawyers can't trust him. I guess after this uh, pivotal fire scene, we suddenly find ourselves in uh, Spike Lee's Black Klansman. Unfortunately, not because that's a bad picture. I haven't seen it, but. We uh, come to find Apollo is literally dressed. They go to Apollo's house in the middle of the night, and apparently in the middle of the night, he likes to cosplay as a member of the Ku Klux Klan. He's wearing a white hood thing on his head and um, a long white robe. I've racked my brain about this scene. I think it's supposed to be like a sleeping gown and and a big cap, but you have to understand the cap is shaped like a dunce's hat. It's straight up and pointed on his head. It's not sitting like a traditional Ebenezer Scrooge situation. It's an unfortunate choice. It's just this whole character, and it's just so racist, and it just makes me 
deeply sad and and yeah. Anyways, so I believe this is when Apollo reveals that he saw a man being shot. Yeah, basically. But of course, he misinterpreted it. Yeah, of course, because this is a racist film. Um, but they figured out that he is a witness, and suddenly, um, you know. Ted gets covered in white powder. I don't know if it's cocaine or what, <laughs> but he comes running in and of course Apollo runs away and that's the end of the scene. And it's just, I don't know why they, I mean, I know why they did this because it, it, it's a racist time and this was acceptable humor, but it's just, it's frankly, it's frankly hard to get through. Is that fair to say? It's fair to say, yeah. but now we're getting to the end game. It's heating up, folks. Um, not really. So Ted poses as a deputy on the phone and tells Griffith that he needs to bring Marley, the pilot, and come down to the station. And then they go over to Griffith's place and start hunting around to see if they can find a gun. T- uh, Ted quotes um, Sun Tzu. Is that, am I saying that right? It's because when they arrive, Nancy drives and, and, and Ted says... You're pulling into the driveway. Make sure you turn around so that we can leave without having to go into reverse. So we just lead by going straight ahead because a, a wise general always leaves the road open for retreat. Did I say that guy's name right? I'm going to say you did. Because I don't talk to a lot of people, but I do read. And then words end up coming out totally wrong and I just sound like a huge dumbass all the time. It's a nightmare. When you read a lot and you learn about things and you don't have anyone to talk to, you just may end up making a fool of yourself. I don't know how to pronounce it either. A fool of yourself on a podcast. And I could look it up, but we're just recording right now and I just, it's too late. Yeah, it's one twelve a.m. Yeah. We're on New Year's Eve. This is our night. <laughs> Watching Nancy Drew troubleshooter and staying up late doing this all for, for a lark. And anyways... In response to that uh, little uh, line from Ted, I would say that a wise viewer should leave the road open for a retreat, too, when it's a bad film. So that's all I'll say. So why didn't we do that? Why didn't we heed your words? Because we're a podcasters, Kevin. Mm-hmm. We're doing it for our, for our no listeners, <laughs> our audience of zero. So Ted and Nancy go into the barn. They do some CSI shit. They find some bullets. Ted somehow gets trapped in rope and ends up hanging upside down. And oh no, the uh, the bad guys are coming back. Yeah, and they find a gun, I guess, in the floorboards. And then they, yeah. Edgar Allan Poe style. Um, Griffith comes in, pulls a gun on the teens. Gotta, gotta, gotta keep the teens corralled. And then he locks them <laughs> in the barn. Yeah. <laughs> what? I, I just know what's coming. Yeah. He yeah. locks them in the barn and announces an intent to kill them. Luckily. Also, Ted has fingerprints all over this unloaded gun at this yeah. point. So the, the evidence is ruined. Uh, luckily, they come across. Is it a red handkerchief? Yeah, they've come across a red hanky. And so the idea is there's a little opening in the, the wall here. Why don't we get a stick tie the red handkerchief to it, stick it out and wave it around because surely, just because we're in a uh, remote area in the middle of nowhere, surely somebody will notice this red handkerchief being waved around and come and save us. Uh, Who's the only being around? There's a cow. And the cow sees this and stares at it very intently, which puzzled you at first before, because you didn't. it didn't even occur to you what was it going to, the no. insanity. <laughs> No, I couldn't have. I couldn't have uh, predicted this silliness overload. This cow, this dairy cow, <laughs> sees this tiny red handkerchief and goes crazy like a bull, seeing a matador's red cape. Charges at the barn, breaks down a wall, freeing Ted and Nancy. This is like the Kool Aid cow crashing through this wall. Yeah, <sighs> it's a Kool Aid cow. It's bullshit. <laughs> but it's all for naught because Ted and Nancy don't quite get away. No. They get shot down running in the field. They bury their bodies that night. 
Yeah. Yeah. No. They uh, they get in the car and then it's like a you know then the plane lands, uh, fl- flown by Marley or rather landed by Marley, and that kind of blocks them in. So at gunpoint, Griffith forces them out of Nancy's car and into the plane. So Ted is finally getting the plane ride he asked for earlier, but it's not the one he wanted. No. They get up in the sky, and the pilot has a parachute. He bails out. So I feel now, like that was a metaphor for us really like bailing on this movie. Ted and Nancy, sorry guys, I need to leave. Yeah, we're for my done. own for my own sake. So now Ted and Nancy are in this plane with no one there to pilot it. Yes. Now I want to be clear. Um, in the Stratmeyer Syndicate, uh, you know, universe, the Stratmeyer Syndicate being the organization, the uh, company that created the Nancy Drew stories, along with that of the Hardy Boys, the Bobsy Twins. Um, and, and they they basically churned out these these uh, kind of mystery novels um, with ghostwriters and such. So uh, in, in the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, because those are the two series I'm familiar with, um, flying planes is like kind of a, a thing that happens, especially in the Hardy Boys. The Hardy Boys are always flying planes. They have friends who fly planes. It's ridiculous. It's like they're from Alaska or something. Nancy Drew, a bit less about planes, but she has taken flying lessons. Uh, she, the, the Sky Phantom, if you ever look at that, the, uh, the um, cover art is literally her co-piloting a plane. So I'm going to say this, and it's not like Ted... And, and Ned in the books and the movies, you know, should be a strong character who can handle himself. But it would be nice if in the Nancy Drew movie, Nancy had something to do, something to bring to the table. Because it really feel, it felt like in this movie, she was frankly more of a hindrance than anything. She wasn't really driving a lot of this to the same degree that she was in the reporter film that we saw. And, and so it's pretty lame to me. Or it's pretty sad to me that Ted is the one to really save the day here because he, while Nancy's freaking out in the backseat, climbs into the cockpit and takes the controls of the plane in an attempt to save their lives. And spoiler, he does. He saves their lives. Yep. Um, basically what happens is they, the ba- bad guys come into the sheriff's office, tell Carson Drew that his daughter died because the kids stole the plane. The kids fly the plane over the street. Everybody sees it. They kids fly the plane into a haystack in a field. Nancy's they they can't find Nancy at first, but then she leaps out of the haystack crying and screaming, Daddy! And it's just like, ugh, like, come on, what are we doing? So undignified for the character. This is a character that gets like abducted by gangsters. This is a character that gets like pushed into the ocean or like uh bitten, you know, snapped at by a tiger, and she just does she it's kind of like, oh, no, that sucks. Like, she doesn't react. She's stone cold, ice veins. And and she gets thrown in a haystack, and that's the end of, you know, that she, that makes her freak out like this. And and, and Ned and, 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 rather, Ted and Nancy both faint in reaction to this trauma. And, uh, yeah, and that's pretty, and then I guess Griffith goes to jail. They get Matt off scot-free. They, uh... Finish up because one of the running gags that we haven't talked about is that Ted really just wanted to work on his boat this summer. He doesn't need any broads. He just wanted to work on his boat and fish. So what happens? He names the boat Nancy. It's completed. He So Tant Nancy and Ted are now wearing fancy uh, sailor hats. Which we should uh, procure for ourselves. Couples, oh, obviously. Couples sailor hats, his and hers. Obviously. You'd love that. I'm not. I'm not arguing with you. Yeah. I'm all for it. Make it happen. Ahoy. Uh, so Nancy christens it. Christens the ship Nancy. Uh, and when she christens it, she tears a hole in the hull of the boat. She tears a hole h o l e in the hull of the boat h u l l. She rips it a new one. And so no one seems to notice, and everyone's clapping, and. Ted and Nancy and the boat go, go into the sea and immediately sinks, at which point Ted says, I should have known this ship would be trouble because I named it after you. And on that sour, <sighs> misogynistic note, 
the movie draws to a close. And and that that was really kind of the vibe the whole movie had was kind of like the ship is sinking. It, it started off with such promise. You and I really wanted to enjoy a film that didn't have the annoying characters that um, Nancy Drew Reporter had. And this seemed like a great opportunity. So we're, we're getting on the ship. We're excited. We're all dressed up. And instead, there was a huge hole in it. And this hole was created by racism in the form of the racist caricature Apollo. Um, and also just bad storytelling. We don't need to focus so much on Miss Gregory. I want to see Nancy solve a mystery. And then this hole just really sunk the whole movie for me. It just, um, and we sunk with it. We're all wet. We're all, we're, we're treading water here. It's just, ugh, just depressing. What do you think, Kevin? Well, uh, to quote a comment you made earlier, uh, this film was trouble shot in the foot. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks Thanks so so much much for listening. listening.